No, I'm waiting. I'm saving that one. No, not yet, but in time. Not until. Fill in your own blank, people. We all have special things that we put aside and save for that special occasion. Some are in celebration. Some in joyful mourning. Some are brought out when we feel we need them. A lucky ball cap, a special jersey, uh, a much-needed talisman when all other options of luck have run their course. And so it goes with whiskey as well. But that being said, if you come to my house and spy a rare bottle you've never experienced, have at it. They are meant to be sampled and appreciated. They are not museum pieces to just look at and not partake from. And with that being said, even I have a bottle or two that are off limits. Nothing fancy though, mind you, just the sentiment. I've got a bottle of Jack Daniels unopened. It's a bottle from before they lowered their proof. It's from my uncle's wedding reception and it remains sealed. It may get cracked open one day and I'm sure the reasons and the circumstances will reveal themselves as to when the time is right. So, I'm waiting. Welcome to Whiskey Business, a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey, but maybe not this time, as our guest bottle is not only rare, but old, and quite possibly right now one of a kind, because I don't think you're going to find this one on the shelf. And I didn't bring it. Here's how it goes, people. A student learns from a teacher. That teacher may have gained his knowledge and wisdom from a master, and so forth and so on. And so, my guest tonight is T.J. Holland, a man who knows his whiskey as if it were part of his religion. And if that be the case, let me tell you people, his faith is strong. Welcome, (laughs) T.J. Holland. And... The guest bottle. I guess more importantly, the guest bottle. Well, we always introduce the guest bottle first, and we are in rare company because uh, it's the holy grail of of whiskeys, and you'll you'll explain to me why and how this came to be, but tell us what we're drinking. This is the Van Winkle Family Reserve Mm -hmm. uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and it's a 14-year-old. Yeah. Uh, it went uh, into the barrels, I guess. Uh, it was distilled in February of 1970 and bottled in December of 1984. Uh, and it's part of the old Rip Van Winkle distillery before they sold in 1972. So it's actual Van Winkle stock, not Weller stock or um, other stock that it's made out of now. So rare. Get very, pre- very rare. rare. Very rare. Very they, rare. There's some people that would have that. If they were collectors, they would buy it and keep it on the shelf and never open it because it's valuable. Uh, yes. I, I don't tell my wife how valuable it, it probably was. Yeah. So. You have a lot of <laughs> you have a lot of whiskeys. That was our that was our when we first met, where we bonded, so to speak, was over whiskey. And at that time, you know, I I, I liked my whiskeys. I, I kind of knew a little bit, but not as much as you. And when I say student to teacher, I'd say at that point in my life, you you became you became a teacher. 
you you turned me on to a lot of different whiskeys, a lot of different whiskeys and a lot of different tastes and 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 a lot of different varieties. And I started to learn. And unlike a lot of lessons in my life, these I actually retained. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking in my head. I was going blah 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 blah. blah, blah. <laughs> but when you when you would shift to whiskey or hockey, all of a sudden I was wrapped with attention. <laughs> Just because it was uh, from 1984, it's still a 14-year-old whiskey. Yeah. It doesn't get any better once it comes out of the barrel. No, it could be in the bottle for it. But the fact that it's 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 been in your family for a long time. This is a very special bottle, and you want to tell us why? Yeah, I got this uh, bottle 10, 15 years ago, probably in uh, northern Kentucky when I uh, worked in Cincinnati for years, and. Uh, once you crossed the bridge and went to the liquor stores, there is when you could get the better stuff. Sure. And like anything, once you got to know know the uh, uh, the guys at the store, once they knew you were in the club, uh, you suddenly had access to better whiskeys. So I was at the Cork and Bottle, uh, which used to be right across the bridge when we got into Kentucky, and they would usually set aside some good stuff for me and others uh, that never hit the shelf. You you got me my first bottle of uh, Van Winkle 12. Oh, that's right. That's yes, right. You that's did. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot about that. No, yeah. I did not. I told you. I retained yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very special moment in my life. <laughs> and um, I would go there, and the manager was a, a, a great guy, and uh, he would tell me from time to time that, you know, in the basement – we have some old Van Winkle stock uh, bottles. We have a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. And I'm like, well, no, you don't, because it's 10, 12, 15, 20, 23. Right, right, right. It's like, no, this is pre, this is Van Winkle, Van Winkle uh, bourbon. And uh, the price at the time, which is by today's standards, kind of a joke, I think I probably paid Four to six hundred bucks for this bottle. Wow. Then. Then. Yeah, which now a ten year old you might have to pay that much for. A ten year old on Craigslist when yeah. I when I got the because we do have I, I said that we would have one little drink from your bottle and then we would we would go and back it up with this ten year old yes. old Rip Van yeah. Winkle swell yeah. <laughs> which is <laughs> compared to your your fourteen year old aged whiskey. Yeah. So we'll stay in the Van Winkle family tonight, but but wow, back then, yeah, that was that's, in, that's insane. And they had a couple bottles uh, in the basement uh, of this you know, nice liquor store. And for a couple of years, I knew it was sitting there. And, and at the time, not a lot of people were going to spend that kind of mon- money. But um, it kind of hit me that uh, because of the relationship I, I had with my dad and drinking uh, bourbon with him and Van Winkle in particular. Uh, it started to hit me, boy, that would be a really cool thing to have. In hindsight, it probably would have been cooler to share it with them. Yeah. But, and, and we'll, wait get, a minute. we'll we'll get into that yeah. a little a and, little bit uh, later on because I want to. But the fact that it's when you when you bought it, it it it's remained unopened until yeah the passing yeah. of your father. Yep. And uh, I was I kind of got a kick out of it, thinking that I I graduated from high school in 1983, and this thing went to the bottle. 
uh, when I was a freshman in college. So it uh, had some legs on it, and I finally said, you know what, uh, I'm going to pick this up, and I put it down in the basement. Uh, I'd take a look at it every now and then, and what was cool about it, too, is it had the wax, kind of like a Maker's Mark uh-huh. did. And my understanding is the, if I remember, the 16-year-old, I think, had green uh, wax on it, and uh, this one has re- had red wax on it. Um, so it's just been uh, sitting there, and I'd dust it off and look at it every now and then, and, and uh, next to a couple other Van Winkle bottles that I still have. So, uh, yeah, it's been sitting up here, uh, sitting in there up until uh, about a month ago. Wow. So, yeah, it's, uh, uh, and, and very I just, cool. I just took a sip of it, and I know that uh, that even today, by today's standards, Van Winkle is the is the the holy ark of of whiskeys right now which i i think what they're paying for right now is absolutely ridiculous yeah, and, and, I, and i refuse now yeah. to, to to even attempt to buy i picked up a bottle of of uh 12 two bottles of 12 a, a couple of years ago in tennessee and i paid 135 dollars a bottle i could have turned right around on craigslist and sold them for name your price even the 10 i bought two bottles of 10 two bottles of 12 and 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 spent in total probably 500 bucks but what i could have sold it for oh it's it's ridiculous ridiculous. yeah but that's that's not why i'm in the whiskey business no that's not why i'm in the whiskey business at all no i'm in it for the love the taste the and everything goes along with it and now do you get into like the actual the nose of a whiskey do you do you appreciate the nose yeah. of a whiskey? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and this, honestly, I had um, one glass of it so far. And because of the settings, I didn't exactly sit there and study it. But right. other than going, uh, boy, this is a very warm, happy feeling this is this giving is, me. This is very <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's legit. I mean, it's... Uh, because you wonder too you're going and i've had i've been lugging this thing around for 15 years and it's uh you know 30 years old plus now uh you know boy i hope this thing is good <laughs> no no it, it's it's it's, it's yeah, hansbury it's, uh, uh who we've been initiating into uh whiskeys since the start of this podcast have you had a sip yet please here let's uh to John Toast. Herbert, by the way. To John uh, Herbert, who we are going to discuss this evening. I hope that's okay. Absolutely. Um, this is kind of a history-making whiskey business podcast for two reasons. One, the whiskey. Okay, we're never going to see this whiskey again, so enjoy it. Okay. All right. I mean, this is it. Take a look at it. Take a picture of it. Put it on our site. We're never going to see this whiskey again. Secondly, um, we are broadcasting for the first time from. Uh, my home, which means, hear this? That's a Zippo lighter, my friends, and me smoking a cigarette. <laughs> that's not a sound effect. Yeah, that's not a sound effect, <laughs> as opposed to the plopping of ice into a whiskey glass that you hear periodically throughout this podcast. That's me smoking a cigarette in my home. This, Hansberry, is the way to go. I, I, think, I think the whole concept of whiskey business, you know, a good conversation over a good pour that was, that was the, the basic concept. But now, to have that good conversation and a good pour in my house, nice. When did you get your first sip of whiskey? How old were you? Oh, boy. 
uh, back in the 70s, life was a little, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little different back then. And I remember uh, my mom would have uh, rosé wine, which is you know, made a comeback now, thankfully. Uh, and uh, uh, I would have a, uh, I'd, I'd get to have a little highball with mm-hmm. a little Sprite and a That's little exactly rosé. exactly what they called it, too, yeah. the highball. And, uh, you know, I was probably, you know, uh, my son is not allowed to listen to this podcast, by the way. He was, uh, he's a Catholic kid. He's, uh, he's, 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 he's hitting wine every week now in mass. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, I love Catholics. So fast with the rationalizations. <laughs> he let us eat corned beef on St. Patrick's Day. It's fine. It's fine. It's and uh, so I was probably 11, 12 years old or so. And then my dad... Um, my dad would come home from work, uh, like clockwork. You'd hear the garage door open. It would be about 5.55. He'd come in the house. We had a little pantry closet. And at the bottom, there was always a, a bottle. Ezra Brooks, sometimes. Ev- Evan Ezra. Wo- Ezra. Uh, Evan Williams, uh, usually Jim Beam or Jack would be in there. Where the, the Ezra Ezra Brooks and, and, the, and the Evan Williams all have a very... Uh, like a like a Jack Daniels yes. looking label. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's like yeah. it's like if I can't get Jack, I'll get this. It looks know, the same. it looks the same. Yeah. It's like oh, did I just buy the Crest? No, that's the CVS. Uh, <laughs> to, but uh, and, not, and not knocking those. Evan Williams makes a fine whiskey. Yes. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and, oh. and so does so does Ezra. Yeah. Yep. But yep. I'm saying it's like it's kind of like familiarity. They're smart. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't by mistake. And he would come in uh, and take a little pull off the bottle, put it back, and that was it. He didn't have a drink with dinner, didn't have a drink the rest of the night. He just <laughs> just, that a, was just the, a slug. Just uh, take just a hit, a, and, take, take a hit yeah, and go. Just, uh, uh, and <laughs> that must have been to get through dinner at our house. Uh, but, uh, uh, and that was it. And I remember trying some of that. Uh, you took a slug? <laughs> Not, my uh, 11, 12-year-old palate was not ready for no. uh, uh, what uh, Mr. Daniels was bringing at the time. And, and nor uh, should an 11, 12-year-old no, no, palate no, be but, ready but you know, for something I was, like that. I was adventurous. Hey, Dad Dad comes in and takes a little sip of this. It's got to be all right. So, uh, yeah, that, that, was the first, uh, uh, that was the first whiskey experience. First whiskey. So yeah. when did you become, uh, for lack of a better description, uh, a refined whiskey drinker. When did you start to really appreciate whiskeys and and start to learn more about them? You know what's good, what's bad, what's probably, swill, what's probably in my late later twenties when I moved to uh, uh, Cincinnati. And was it was it bourbon? Yeah, was it bourbon right out yeah. of the gate? Because my first yeah. introduction to whiskey was was Scotch whiskey. Oof. I know. And the only reason it got to be Scotch whiskey was I, uh, one of my summer jobs was uh, in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and uh, the gentleman I was working for was building Arthur Treacher's stores, fish and chip stores. Now, I'm not a construction guy. I was doing the grunt work. I was hauling stuff, moving stuff. I wasn't pounding nails or doing anything like that. But he said, when we go out, I will buy all your drinks if you drink what I drink. And he drank Chevis Regal. So uh, up to that point, I think I was actually drinking, uh, 
I was drinking like black velvet in college right. at football right. games, but my drink of choice Ooh. was actually gin. Yeah. At that time, you know, I was drinking a lot of gin, so scotch, nothing. So, started drinking Chevy's and developed a taste for scotch, and 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 started to lean that way as I got older. Chevis Regal and Little Doers and then I got introduced to the single malts and all of a sudden I discovered that and and it yeah. was scotch, scotch, scotch. Probably not bourbon till I was in my, my thirties, really, when I when I stopped to think about it. And I have not turned back. We would mule in uh mule in <laughs> <laughs> bourbon into football games. In, in in college and after, it uh -huh. became very refined at how we were able to get it in, too. Let me just say the dual baggy Ziploc approach is the best way to go. Uh, it, survives pa it, it survives pat downs uh, because, anyway, Wild Turkey 101 was probably my first, uh, that was kind of the first go-to after the Jim Beam kind of, and that's because, again, my dad drank it. And oh boy, I just that just popped a memory, and I hadn't thought about in forever. What's that? <laughs> uh, high school age. I was a senior in high school, and um, it was a uh, a unique experience uh, uh, growing up and dynamics in my family and so on. And uh, my dad had remarried, and there was a my step family had moved in and um you know like so many kids you're not real tight with your dad and and those ages mm -hmm. and uh uh i remember going to a concert and having somebody buy me uh a pint of wild turkey i think it was brian adams maybe it was you know, i went to this concert and again this horrible talking about you know indiscretions of my youth and drinking and so on but uh uh I had put the bottle under the front seat of the Jeep Wagoneer we had and forgot about it when I got home from the, the concert. And it was a Saturday night, and where I grew up, you went to church about eight times on Sunday. I went to a, that's it, I went to a later service, and he went to an earlier one. And I remember getting the cold shoulder big time, and then at dinner on Sunday, at lunchtime, him. I could tell he was ticked off, and I later found out from one of my stepsisters that apparently when they went to church and drove the <laughs> Jeep Wagoneer Grand Cherokee, I guess what happened was he put on the brakes, <laughs> and from under the seat slides this pint of 101 wild turkey to his feet oh, I can when just... he's driving on a Sunday morning to or from church. I can't remember what it was. I can see the movie cut as we speak. Yep, yep. I can see the camera <laughs> cutting to the bottle slide like I can see the bottle sliding out. Close yep. up on the bottle, yep. cut to dad. <laughs> so my dad never said a word to me about it. Never said a word to me, but he was pissed. And I've, I always wondered, I, one of those things, and in hindsight, I wish I would have been able to talk to him about it, and I'd forgotten about it until the, sitting here. And uh, so like being with Oprah, I'm going to start crying now or jumping on a couch or something. Um, but I, I always thought that he didn't say anything because it was his bourbon. He drank 101. And it was probably like, I learned it from watching you drink, Dad. Uh -huh. You know, one of those kind of deals. He, and he, uh, he and then I'm sure he used the bottle. I'm he, sure he... <laughs> he could have taken it as an homage. I, th I think maybe that was in the spirit. That the, was, maybe but, that was. Maybe, but maybe not at the time because you were how old? 17. 17. Yeah, 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 no, I was a yeah. little, little under the uh, uh, legal little, age. 
101 uh, was the big deal, but it was when I moved to Cincinnati uh, <clears throat> and had, had the opportunity to uh, uh, learn a little more by being in northern Kentucky by people there right. kind of explaining some stuff to me. And, and uh, you know, it's like. And oh, that's how it works. Yeah. I mean, you, you come mm. across someone who, like I said earlier, teaches you, and then you take the lesson and, and pass it on and so forth and so on. So someone refined you to different tastes and different different whiskeys and bourbons and whatnot, and and then then you came to me, and now I take my this, lessons from you, oh, I, and I pass them on to yeah, others. I, I'm the, the uh, you know. <laughs> to Hansberry. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a slow learner. He's taking notes. He's, he's coming along nicely. You know, one of the funny things with that, too, is uh, life lessons you try to, uh, that you learn kind of by mistake. Mm-hmm. And, and funny enough, I'm trying to teach my son this, not not at 12 how to drink, but uh, <laughs> uh, because I'll, I'll, I'll because kick his ass if he ever does. You know? and, and somebody, oh, I will have words if my son does. And somebody will call yeah. child services yeah, yeah, on yeah. you. Yeah, if, uh, if I'm driving and a bottle of wild turkey slides by my feet, A, I'll keep the bottle. He won't get that back. But, uh, yeah, there will be words. Uh, uh, actually, my wife would be the one uh, with louder words, but I'd let her get that out of the way but you know what that kind of taught me too was um, when you go to a place that has nicer things again good bourbon doesn't get put out on the shelves good uh, good wine doesn't good cuts of meat at the restaurant you go to Mm -hmm. uh, they'll set it aside for their good customers and that was kind of a lesson just in business the good stuff doesn't get put out on a shelf usually so and it's important it's a good lesson to teach a kid how to read the room yeah yeah you you get more I it's reading the room has probably done more for me uh, than uh, uh, than any kind of smarts I have but uh, I wasn't always good at it, though. It, <laughs> it's like anything else. I read else. poorly. I, uh, yeah, I uh, did like not, not read well. But, uh, no, that's uh, uh, being in northern Kentucky and having some access to that. And good bourbon, age of bourbon was starting to happen then more uh, in the mid-'90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, you know, the single barrel stuff was starting to happen, and you know, Blanton's I think was the first single barrel. Was that the first? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. I'd have to do some research. I, I on think that, it, I think uh, it was. Uh, right now, I'll take your word on it. And by the way, uh, if you are a bourbon connoisseur, if you haven't done the bourbon trail, going to Buffalo Trace and seeing um, the uh, the workers actually putting the caps into the bottles is yeah. pretty cool. And because you you see how it's the horse taking off and. Um, yeah, I have some friends who are. It's are, pretty neat. Are collecting just these, the horses as we speak. Just these nice local people working there. They their job is to put put the cork and then they pass it down and then the next person seals it and that's uh, that's pretty neat. Let's talk about John Herbert. Yes, your dad. I mean, I've gotten I've picked up bits and pieces. Uh, he seemed like a a quiet man. Uh, a stoic man. I mean, I, 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 you, you paint the picture of him coming home from work and taking a hit off the bottle, and then just adjusting himself and dealing with the rest of his day. Were you close to your father? Uh, not for a long time. Because yep. uh, you mentioned earlier, yeah. like not so much in the in the beginning, and not so much in uh, those formative years. 
I was definitely, I was 10 years younger than my brother, who's the oldest, and six and a half years uh, younger than my sister. And I was more my mom's baby uh-huh. by then. And uh, so when they got divorced, my mom was not very gracious in how she would handle the topic of my dad, who I lived with, not my mom, which in the mid-70s was... Uh, so stop there for a second. You're closer to your mom, your parents divorced, but you live with dad. Yeah. Why? Uh, he had uh, really good attorneys and, so it was and a, the ability it, to... It, it was yeah. a custody thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, she wasn't, uh, again, very gracious uh, to him, and she would... Yeah would never use his name. She'd use uh, 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 words I wasn't allowed to use, we'll say, uh, to talk about him. And in those years, you know, when, you're, when your mom's telling you horrible things about the guy you live with, you, you, you tend to believe it. And See, that's fascinating to me because my parents divorced as well. Um, but my mother, never, my mother never had an ill word to say about my father. And my father... I, I'll say it because this is these these were my impressions of my father. Uh, he was he was kind of an ass. He was, he was a little bit of a bastard. But my mother never said an ill word. She would defend him to the ends of the earth. Maybe because that's what she wanted. That's your father, and and I don't want you to think ill of him. She tried her best. Yeah, that didn't happen. I, I went a lot of years uh, thinking ill of my father i mean i went 20 years almost 20 years without even seeing him right you know, because, that's right because he because he lived in greece but it's interesting that you know uh, a parent's approach to that because their divorce was was there wasn't any custody involved my father said go take him you know he stayed in greece and you know i went to steubenville and lived with my grandparents my mother came two years later and you know as far as that's right he was was she in chicago uh we were all in chicago right. in the beginning it was chicago greece and then everything went down the tubes and we wound up in steubenville which is my mother's hometown uh but you know what to this day you can't get her to say an, really an l word about about my father so your mom says nothing good to say so is this is this making an impression on you oh sure sure i i thought he was terrible guy i mean i didn't think he was pure evil but i you know it was it was awkward because um it wasn't too long after they got divorced that my sister moved out Uh it was just me and my dad for a couple of years and in hindsight i learned so much that made me so independent at such an early age i don't know if you remember i mean you learned how to do laundry. Mm-hmm. You learned how to cook dinner. And, you know, my dad would make a meatloaf in the morning and put it in the refrigerator and set out a couple of baked potatoes and tin foil and say, all right, turn the oven on, put it in at this time, then put the potatoes in and poke holes in them and, you know, open a can of corn, whatever, set the table. So After the divorce, how, how long was your father a, a single man when it was just him and and you guys just the kids just about three and a half years three and a half years so three and a half years it's just dad running things and and calling the shots and making the meatloaf in the morning making the meatloaf and and, made a good meatloaf (laughs) his key was putting a little sausage in it and cornflakes or total yeah oh very nice so when was the when when did the uh when was the turn when was Uh, it when you when, when when did you start to have a whole different uh 
opinion and and view of your father? It was probably when I was a freshman in college. Why? Uh, what happened? There were a few years when I was in junior high, early high school. It was amazing. I had the house to myself. I had this cool house, and my dad worked all the time. And what did he do? Uh, uh, insurance sales, life insurance. He, uh, he was a managing partner. Then they were called general agents at Northwestern Mutual. And uh, he was also an entrepreneur, developed property in the neighborhood we grew up in. Uh, uh, he bought oil and gas and tried, you know, learned how to do that. And So a good provider. He, yep, yep. And he was an uh, incredibly driven a uh, guy who you know grew up on a farm, poor, and you know was born in 1933. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, you uh, ate every part of the animals you had, and right. uh, you worked your butt off. And he, uh, you know, he was the big brother, and at an early age, he, um, you know, was driving uh, steak trucks with pigs and chickens to uh, Detroit and Chicago at 14. You wow. know, and. Uh, so he was always a really driven guy. Uh, Back to the original question: yeah. What happened? What was the turn? Um, what, what, what changed your my uh, my dad got remarried when I was in tenth uh, grade, I think it was, and so I went from having a house to myself with just my dad, growing up in a family that was uh, pretty quiet. You know, we weren't real talkers, and uh, hard to believe. Uh, to then him marrying a woman who had three kids who were around my age who were loud and screamy and stuff and just a weird dynamic. And uh, that didn't necessarily grow me any closer to my dad in high school. But, and I went to, uh, when I went to college, I remember him dropping me off once in uh, my freshman year early on. And he said, uh, yeah, it'd probably be a good idea if you didn't come back next weekend or whatever. It wasn't forever, but I took it that way and was like, fine well then I'm just not going to go back again and I never went back um, but then after that you know he never gave up he never would say anything bad about my mom but uh, he would come down and about every week take me out to dinner we'd have a decent dinner he'd usually take me through a grocery store and buy some stuff for me and put in my nice Avante refrigerator and um, in my dorm room and uh he just never gave up, and it started to hit me, you know, as you get a little older, that, wow, this guy never, ever said a bad word about my mom. Never. Interesting and he how had it's so many opportunities. I was such an ass so many times that he could have just unloaded on me. Isn't it funny how it's in reverse? Yeah. Your father never yeah. said a bad word. Never. About your mother. My mother yeah. never said a bad word about, about my father. And do you think... It was in the hopes, because this is how I look at it now, in hindsight, do you think it was with the hope that if I don't say anything bad, if I don't speak an ill word, then, then maybe there's a chance that my son will, will have the love that I would want him to have for his mother or his father. Just, just on the chance, just on the chance. Yeah, I think there was, I think that's probably an element to it. I could see that. Yeah, I, I guess I never thought of it that way. But and is that, is that, was that the turn for you? Is that when yeah, you looked at it? It really was. It was when you know, you get out of the, the environment you were in, and you're out of high school, you're out of your small town you grew up in, and 
you know, you're going to school, you're experiencing different things, and you realize that this guy's still coming to as big an ass as I could be. He would still come and take me out to dinner, and we'd hang out, and uh, there'd be little like uh, little chestnuts he'd pepper me with about growing up and so on, where he mm-hmm. wouldn't be obvious about telling me some things, but. It was almost you know, not so much as a, well, this friend of mine. But there was kind of these little, to see if I was picking up on dynamics that I didn't realize when I was a kid. And Because it seems like, I don't know if it's a father's job or if it's inherent in, in us as fathers. Because, Greg, you're, you're a father. You've got two young kids. You've got kids. I have a daughter. I think there's, is there something in, inherent in the father that wants to pass along wisdom? Because even though... Like I said, I went 20 years without seeing my dad. But the things I do remember in the times I spent with him, and a lot of those times were spent later in life, were the wisdom yeah. that he would try to impart. So you yeah. started oh, yeah. you started to yeah, pick you up? You started picking up on that. So when did yeah. you start liking him? At that point. At that point? Yeah, at that point when I was and in college. And was the wisdom good? Was it yeah. good? What did it yeah, hit home? Yeah, because he was... Uh, uh, very big on being flexible, you know, and um, he was a uh, really hardworking guy, but it's funny, my sister, we were talking with a funeral recently, and she said, well, I remember Dad, he'd, he'd pop his head in and say, uh, don't get mad, get even. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the uh, yeah, nicest guy in the world, but... He he had a, he had a good memory and uh, uh, you didn't fool him twice and you know little things like that you picked up but a lot of it was just going you know his character I mean he never said anything bad and boy I, I gave him so many opportunities I mean I was a uh, you know angry young kid then and uh, you start going wow this guy never gave up on me and he's there for me and he genuinely cares about me and uh, it wasn't natural for him either I mean he, he grew up in the 30s with uh, my grandparents were great but my his dad was a hard-working tough so uh, you know that's the way he was brought up so he was a real touchy-feely guy he didn't know how to I mean now now you get experience now you learn about it and now you Everything is so uh, uh, emotional and so on. But hey, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, you worked hard. You had a good meal, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's a day. You know, that's a day. You know, yeah, smoke some cigarettes, and you know, uh, that was it. So, you know, he kind of grew too. But uh, you know, the fact is, guy never quit on me. He never, never gave up, and. Um, he didn't judge. That was always pretty important, too, because, you know, face it, uh, your path didn't start in radio. Mine, mine did. And, no, uh, uh, yeah, I got the bug early when I was a kid. always loved music. And um, I started doing radio in college and loved it. It was great. And he always wanted me to get in the insurance business quietly. It didn't force me into it, but gave me opportunities to be tested for it and you know you take the aptitude test if you're going to be a seller and I'm not a natural seller that's not my my strong suit I knew the business very well tested real high in that but I mean I grew up with a guy uh, and here I am you know working in radio and I 
graduated from uh, Michigan State, uh, I think I made was it four twenty five or maybe four sixty five an hour. So he must have been really super proud after you know paying for my education up until that point and. Uh, me getting out and doing overnights at radio stations <laughs> part time, but uh, you know he never judged. He didn't. Uh, uh, at, at least you had that. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. I, I hear stuff like that, and uh, both of our fathers have have passed, and, and but I never got that guidance. I never got like, this is what I'd like you to be. The only only lesson that I had growing up was I know what I don't want to be and at the time it was I don't want to be you I don't want to be like you I don't want to do what you did so when I married and got divorced that killed me because you know I I felt oh man sins of the father are are raising their ugly head and, and now it, do you feel like, because even though I had uh, issues, let's just call them that, with, with my father, and still do to some extent, even even years after his passing, do you feel that, that there's a, a part of you that's like your dad? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Because I, yeah. I find some of the same yep. things about me. I'm like, wow, you know, the older I get, there's what's bred in the bone, so to speak, is is got some truth to it. Yep. How are you like your father? I think my demeanor, in a lot of ways, uh, I'm I am competitive, but not as driven as him in the same way. Uh, but I think a lot of that comes with luxury of being raised. Sure. You know, where his dad was, you know, you know, through the depression in the early you know 1900s and all of that, and my dad grew up, you know born during the depression and, and clearly we know there's a you know, pretty big impact on people so i don't think i was as driven um uh financially obviously by my career choice uh, uh to do that but i think his demeanor and uh, you know while yes i can judge people i'm also pretty understanding about it and he was always a long-term guy he saw down the road not the immediate and it was always like be flexible you know and it was he was always looking at the long-term goal in the final and that's i look at myself now and yeah that i got that from do you raise your children in any similar fashion as your father did unconsciously or consciously uh really hit them a lot and i never was (laughs) yeah yeah seriously and uh do you ever see? Yeah, do you, yeah. I mean, do you ever, oh, absolutely. Do you ever absolutely, see? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, I'm yeah. being, I'm, I'm yeah. being my dad. Yeah. Oh yeah, and but probably amplified a lot more than it was with him because I know it now, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and he didn't. So now, when you're looking at those lessons and those opportunities, uh, I'm probably more exaggerated uh, uh, than he was at the time. When was so. he? As far as you're concerned, were you noticed? When was he noticeably proud of you? I think it was around work stuff because I didn't get married until I was almost 36. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have the uh, uh, that part. I mean, he was obviously very thrilled when I did get married. That, uh, 
that somebody would actually uh, and, and, and do once that. Again, once again, yeah. it's a two-part question. And, and uh, but I, I think it was career-wise when uh, yeah, I moved to Maine, and he came out with uh, with my stepmom, and saw that yeah, I had my shit together mm-hmm. and was doing well and. Um, and you could tell he was proud of yeah. you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. And and did you realize or ever quite? Did you want him to be proud of you? I mean, were you oh, ever, sure. were you ever sure. craving that? Sure. At, at some sure. point. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think because the relationship was you know, strained or awkward at a younger age, that you, know, you start looking at that opportunity and the and the missed opportunities and. Uh, he never pushed financially, um, you know, to have this incredible financial success. But I think when he saw that I had achieved that later in my career, um, that I think he appreciated that. I think even though he never would lead with that, I th- you could kind of tell that uh, uh, he checked that off the list. It's like, all right, the kid did all right. He's uh, he's making good money and he's doing well and. And when he'd hear that I was, you know, when my stations I was programming were doing well, he he always liked that. He always asked a lot of questions. And yeah. That was... Uh, yeah, I'd say it was radio for me. Um, when my father came back to the States to um, go to a, a funeral, um, my uncle's wife had... Uh, passed away and he came back to the states to the funeral and I and that's when I saw him for the first time like in years and I said look uh you're in you're in Indiana you got to come to Columbus because I was here my half brother from my father's second failed marriage <laughs> was here living with me as well so he came to Columbus Ohio and he stayed with me and he came to the radio station and he was a big hit on the air and he also came to uh uh, an event, and he embraced that and saw what I did, so forth and so on. Came to the Funny Bone that night and watched me perform on stage. And I, at that time, I was doing a bit that was a caricature of my father, and he really got into that. And I remember I actually introduced him on and brought him up on stage. And I remember him taking his bow. All right, the radio, great. The, the comedy, great. But the thing he was most proud of was uh, poker night. Uh. <laughs> because I, what I vaguely do remember when we were all living in Chicago as, a, as, as happy as a family as I thought we were, right. which we weren't, uh, my father was a good host. There would always be people over. He always had a bar, you know, downstairs. I wonder why, you know, and I was like, oh, why do I have a bar? What's bread and the bone? He had a bar, a nice bar. Even in Greece, when I went to the house, the upstairs and downstairs was a nice bar. Well, how he used to say, a nice bar, you know, with special lights. <laughs> I, don't, I still don't know what that means. But, but he said to me, he, that's, that's what he was most proud of. When all these people came over for poker night, and this is when my poker nights were, were raging. There'd be, you know, eight guys downstairs. And if you didn't play poker, you were upstairs and you were drinking and socializing upstairs and watching TV. And it was everybody. And my father was working both rooms, downstairs, upstairs. And when it was all said and done, when they all left like at three o'clock in the morning with me having to go to work right, still yeah, at, at five, yeah, he, <laughs> Two hours. he, that's what he seemed to be the most proud of. The fact that I was a good host 
and he he said something he said when when people feel comfortable and at home at your house you're doing something yeah. right in life absolutely totally agree when when, when yep. and, and that and and like okay so that was his seal of approval which I didn't realize how hungry I was for it yeah. because I never had anything like that. And it was weird. Those f- those few days I had with him, uh, I was almost angry when he, when he actually left because so that's what it could have been like. Right. And it wasn't. It wasn't that way. I didn't go back again until he took ill, which your father took ill. Yeah. It was a long process with him. What yeah. was it? Ooh, nine years. Nine years dementia. of dementia. Yeah, which, yeah. Which it came it, after a stroke. After a stroke. Alzheimer's, but it was dementia, yeah. Was that hard? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, because it... Uh, because at that point, you do have a relationship with your father that you... Oh, yeah, I had a great... I, you know, that's the thing. Um, uh, I remember living in Maine. That was my first real gig. You know, packed up the cat in a U-Haul and... You know, uh, towed the LeBaron uh, through upstate New York and finally, you know, through uh, Vermont, New Hampshire and into Maine. And it was just me and a cat. You know, I ended up hiring one of my best friends in the world to do mornings for me. Uh, we weren't best friends at the time, but ever since. And uh, you know, you're in your mid-20s and you're in another part of the country that's not like the Midwest. It's not like the Midwest at all. And... Uh, uh, having him come out and visit and see that and then being in Cincinnati and uh, continue to grow there and do better and there are certainly accolades and more money and so on and more properties uh, given me to manage and uh, you know we used to talk all the time it was great I mean he was uh, yeah, dad-like because he was checking in on you you knew he was mm-hmm. He was reading the room and seeing how I was doing, but it, it was never obvious about it. And do you uh, still think he would have done better if you'd gone in insurance? <laughs> well, despite he would, your success, yeah, uh, despite he would, your success in radio. Uh, well, now where I'm at, I'm I'm going. Boy, I really kind of wish I would have <laughs> done that. But uh, you know, at 51 versus at 21, you you think a little differently. But he, uh, uh, no, he was he was definitely proud of me, and that you, you do. I you you find out, man, I really did want this approval because I was. Uh, I was a lot younger than my siblings, and um, suddenly having this really cool relationship with him was uh, was great. And uh, used to uh, he was really big into fishing on Lake Michigan, and uh, I used to always try to go with him on Saturdays when we could because he was such a bullshitter with his stories and so on. And people always loved him, and that that was kind of like how your dad was. I realized that. People like my dad. Oh, people they liked loved my a, father. He used to make me so angry yeah, because yeah. they ever hear stories about Jimmy, my dad, and, oh, your father was this, your father was that. And, and my cousins who would go to Greece every year, uh, my, my first cousin named Dino, uh, all the firstborns are named Dino, go figure, no imagination whatsoever. But he, I, I would be jealous of his... I, and I, I said this to him a, a thousand times. You had a better relationship with my father than yeah. I ever had. You saw him every year. You spent summers. You went to Las Vegas with my dad. Oh. 
I, Which for you. <laughs> you know, you went you were in Vegas with my father. You're telling me these great stories about about talk about reading a room. My father, uh, downtown Vegas with my cousin Dino, two guys are are scoping them out, looking to uh, looking okay, to yeah. looking to rob them. All right. My father, talking about reading the room, picks up on it and gives my cousin instructions to the point where the the two would be robbers are are like, well, shit. I think they're gonna rob us, <laughs> you know, because that's how he made it look. He they, he turned the tables on them completely, and these guys just he was you know, street smart. Dude, oh, was, you know, wow. My father, yeah. my father was very street smart, and if something was bred in the bone, I guess that's what I what I got from him because um, I can read a room right. and I do have uh, the street smarts and and uh, I I just get. I get mad. I mean, I, I know you got close to your father, and I know that those dementia years were hard. But even just saying that, I, I'm I'm a little bit envious of you, even because I just went and saw him when you know he got diagnosed, and and I went and I saw him, and I took my daughter to Greece. I said, you need to really kind of meet your grandfather, and we went, and it was. If you didn't know he had cancer, you wouldn't know he had cancer. But then when it metastasized, went to his legs. That was that. And then I went back again. Um, and, you know, now and then I started to see, you know, just that shell of the man. And, and that was harder. And then when he died, I went back and I buried him. Um, and that was difficult, too. But. Yeah, welcome to adulthood. Yeah, you know, that's it's until you experience it. I mean, I'm again, I'm 51, and there's something to it when you know you lose your dad. That's uh, thankfully my mom's still around, but mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, uh, but I'm yeah. still angry. See that, that I feel that. cheated. That's the thing that makes me mad right now. Well, maybe cheated's a people, better word. People are well. How do you feel? Because everybody wants to know how you feel, and they want to tell you how you should feel. Um, because you know, I'm such a man of feelings, as you guys know, the ambassador of hugs and everything. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's kind of a weird. That's that's the thing that's hit me since my dad passed. And people mean well, mm -hmm. but uh, I learned early on uh, when people say, you know, sorry for your loss, just to say thank you, I appreciate it, or it's very kind. Right. Don't don't give them a bone. Don't give them an, an entry point to start offering their opinion because that's when you're. That's yeah, when you, that's, that's what, when they're telling you how you should feel. And that's and so when, then that's yeah. when you get mad. And I I realized the thing, I'm mad because, uh, when uh, he passed, uh, I did I did the eulogy, and I'd had it in my mind for several years that I was going to do this for him because. A I think it's probably you know, in 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 hindsight, Oprah, uh, that <laughs> I. Uh, uh, I think I probably wanted to prove something to him or show that I, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do. You mm -hmm. know, I think there's probably uh, some of that. And, you know, when you're with people, and it sounds like it would happen with your dad, too. You get all these stories of people telling you, oh, he was so great. He was this great guy. And you're like, yeah, I know he was. Then you kind of get ticked going. Well, I want that now. I didn't mm -hmm. have that for the last ten years with him. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't and, have it for, uh, and I want it now. You know, I mean, uh, saw him when I was fourteen. Saw him when I was thirty-four, and then, you know, 
patches of it from 34 to I'm 58. He's been dead now for it'll be eight years this November. So I can't do that math because I don't have book smarts. I just got street smarts. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I yeah I he's he you wanted him to look at look at me talking about I think you. So. Yeah, and and I I took a lot of pride in that ego wise. I'll admit because I knew I could do it. Uh, but he, you know, if you believe in a better place and looking down, he probably. Oh, he was he was pulling people in to watch that. He, I think too. Yeah, I think, I think if there's like a DVR and have yeah. them, you know, if you're watching down, it's like, oh, let's check in on my youngest it's, now. Uh, uh, you know, I think. Look, yeah, you know, I raised I, I the think kid was, right. Yeah, you know? I think uh, he's yeah, he was probably beaming as well. And that that just meant a lot to me. I really wanted him to be sent off, if you will, in a. Uh, uh, a way deserving of what a cool guy he really was and uh apparently i did that so uh but boy that's weird Ooh, that's weird have you ever done a eulogy uh-huh oh man they're you, tough you, you think you got it together no you no. think you got it together i'm not gonna cry yep. i'm not gonna cry and two, two of my best friends one who did mornings for me i, I sent copy to he he actually helped me a lot um because they know me really well and know that I'll just get paralyzed by overthinking stuff and trying to make it perfect. And, you know, well, I got to do this and add this and add this. And he just said, just start writing. Just mm-hmm. start writing. You know, you know what you want to say. Just start writing. And I did. I stayed up at like 3.30 in the morning. And I sent it to him. And um, <clears throat> Did you my, feel? Uh, oh, go ahead. No. And my uh, uh, other friend, uh, my best friend, uh, who's in the PR uh, advertising uh, business. I'd actually called him and said, so for speech writing, time-wise, if I have less than 10 minutes, what is it a page? And he walked down, and it was funny, he walks down the hallway and said, well, let me ask one of my speech writers. I'm like, well, you've obviously arrived, sir. Uh, and he you know, said, well, for you know, uh, double-space, 12-inch font, one-inch margin, it's about uh, two and a half, three minutes a page. So that kind of gave me a... Uh, a, uh, you know, a point to do it, and I put it together, and I sent it to them, and they're like, "Wow, this is really good." Mm-hmm. And you kind of get intimidated because I really respect both of these guys uh, a lot, and they said, both of them were, "You got to be ready for the end," because I was going to end. I could either end on a fun high note of audience participation, um, which I did, or tell a very touching, emotional end story of him they're like oh you got to do the emotional said but you got to be ready for this because which one did you do i did the emotional i did both but i ended on the uh, uh on the emotional part and um uh <laughs> it's, it's funny. i wish there was a video of it I'd, I'd love to be able to see myself do that because you get up there and you're ready and it starts to hit you going Holy crap, I'm going to have to go up there. And you see all these people in mm-hmm. his life from that knew him from when he was a kid to grandkids and great-grandkids and so on. And people love this guy. And uh, you get up there, and all of a sudden, you're looking down at a casket, you know, right below your feet as you're standing there. And, yeah, I felt my voice dry up. And there were a couple of points, I, you know, you know funny better than anybody I know, but I know that writing, I knew where the good points were. I knew sure. where I had to pause and 
I know my delivery well enough that once I kind of establish it with a crowd, right. they get that I'm joking around right. and that I'm not just you know being too dry. I had to kind of correct them at one point. I actually uh, did the uh, the mic tap just to be really super cliche because I always wanted to do that and kind of did the uh, no that was a joke. I kind of <laughs> then people laughed and then from there on and uh, and I'm telling funny stories about my dad being in the Navy and. Uh, him being a loan shark in the Navy, and people didn't know these stories. And you know, he was, you know he'd have bigger sailors, you know, <laughs> collect money. And, and then even I think at one point I said, you know, holy cow, I'm getting choked up at the funny parts. I don't know how I'm going to get through the rest well, of this. I'm not going to. Yeah. yeah, how am I going to get to the? Uh, uh, but you summon it up. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, uh, I got it done. But there was some fun stuff in it too because he was a fun guy. He was just a huge bullshitter and told funny stories and you know yeah, I think I kind of learned well actually I know I learned from him my mom's funny she's the, she's the great host like you were talking about your dad she's was the party thrower she made my dad look good at early mm-hmm. uh, uh, age with that when he was a up-and-coming kind of guy in a company but he was the one with the dry sense of humor and and I think I learned kind of the self-effacing stuff from him you know that if you can laugh at yourself and not take yourself too seriously that other people will get that and uh, that definitely uh, that definitely came from him so um, you did right by him yeah yeah it was uh and you realized at some point in your life that he did right by you oh absolutely yeah it was uh uh, it was funny because uh, at the very end, it was my brother and, and, and sister, the three of us were together and uh, in the room with him, and you knew it was the end, and uh, uh, was was near. And uh, uh, yeah, we, I think we we're meant to be together, the three of us, to kind of bond and maybe get over some shit. And you know, we're, we'd tell funny stories and so on, but then... Uh, the topic of who was his favorite came up. Mm-hmm. I was never included really in that. <laughs> you know, it was like between my brother and my sister, you know. And one of my lines when I opened up, you know, doing the eulogy was, um, I'm, I'm John's youngest son, Tim, or as I was commonly known as, Mike, which is my brother. He called me Mike all my life, even at my wedding. Yeah, when he did my wedding speech at my wedding, he wow. called me Mike. Okay. So. Uh, I, I made no, uh, you know, and, uh, but I do like to think secretly he really, uh, you know, he loved me to death. Oh, he absolutely did. But uh, I think he secretly, I, I wasn't the favorite maybe, but I think he really, uh, I, I, I think guess. he appreciated me because my path was very different. I didn't get, yeah, I was very fortunate to have a father who believed in pain having his kids educated. And I was never burdened with student loans, uh, but he never gave us anything. Now, that wasn't his style. I mean, he'd help. He gave us life insurance to make sure that when we were old, if we were losers, well, I would we had so. money. I oh, would wait. think oh, he would give you life. That was his business. And it's dangerous that my wife knows that I'm worth a lot more debt than I <laughs> uh, but You're George <laughs> Bailey. <laughs> Uh, it's a wonderful life oh man so uh no it was uh uh, the whole experience was really but what was so cool was hearing all these stories about people who just love the guy yeah and all the stuff he did that nobody knew about he helped so many people uh, money loans time silly things like yeah i i would hear the same stories and then i would i would always wonder 
why didn't he apply any of that to to being a a better father? Yeah. But I'm sure when we talked about this, you know, we we jokingly said something about rationalizations early on. I'm sure in his mind he he rationalized it all away, you know. But I enjoyed the time, you know, uh, with having a drink with him. That was uh-huh. always a cool thing uh, as we got older because I only saw my dad drunk once, and that's when I became an adult. That was actually like a moment where I became an adult when that happened. And uh, um, when you t- when you take a drink out of your dad's hand for the first time and say, yeah, Dad, uh, uh, yeah. we can get you a cup of coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's cut you yeah. off, <laughs> And uh, <laughs> there were some unique circumstances going on while he was doing that, but uh, – uh, but that was uh, uh, that was one of them. But I just always enjoyed. We'd get together, and that was kind of, I think, our thing mm-hmm. that he didn't have with my brother or sister or anybody else. Because uniquely he, yours. Yep. And with the Van Winkle, actually, w- what was so cool was uh, he learned about it, and I'd go to uh, back then in Northern Kentucky. You could walk into one of the big stores there across the bridge if you're familiar with the Cincinnati area there's some really big stores and um, I remember seeing these bottles in the black velvety uh, mm-hmm. sack that it was in it was 23 year old and, and there were these red ones and I'm like wow what's you know you figure it was scotch or something like that usually that was the uh, uh, real high end and started learning about the Van Winkle and you know guys at the store would say oh this is fantastic this is the best bourbon that's out there at the time and um and my dad learning about it he said well yeah get uh, uh get me a case of it uh, get me a half 20 and a half 23 and uh his best friend Dell and him were gonna pay me back and they paid me back immediately and i remember back then you could get the stuff mm-hmm. nobody knew about it i mean it was not uh, not a huge deal and uh they loved it. They appreciated it. They got how good it was, and it was fun because you had the 15-year-old, the 20, and the 12. You know, you could, you know, you could tell the difference in them and uh, uh, and enjoy them. And he'd share them with people, and you know, he gave them good stories to tell that way. And uh, um, and then it all got ruined by the Cincinnati Enquirer one weekend running a story on Van Winkle, and then everybody who ever had a Jack and Coke went out and bought a bought bottle, it. and they're still sitting in a cupboard somewhere on a shelf yeah, unopened. Yeah. I and, hate when uh, that happens. And now the hipsters ruined it. Hipsters. Yeah, the millennials, yeah. Hansberry. Yeah. The millennials. Yeah. So then I'd go to these stores. You couldn't even get the uh, the semi-good stuff that was still really good. Right. Now you can't even get that. I know, it's because tough. Because you'd show up to the... Uh, these liquor stores, these big palaces that they have in northern Kentucky. And, you know, it's a bunch of guys with their beards and ironic glasses and fedoras. Uh, wait a talking minute. To, wait, wait a minute. Wait. I look good. No, no. I look real good. I, was, I think you're missing is a hat. We were down uh, down in uh, Cincinnati over Eastern. I went to uh, uh, one of the stores there, and I actually – there were these two two guys – talking about well i read on reddit about this bourbon or whatever i'm just like oh my gosh what have we come to come on guys that's not how you learn about this you don't know what you're talking about just don't buy the the best way to learn about it is from another person or or a podcast or Or a podcast podcast. (laughs) hey i don't know i don't know if we've touched anybody in that particular department over the last 20 some podcasts that we've done but i hope so all right my friends so 
Um, you mentioned earlier on that you wish you were sharing this bottle with your old man, but I, I got to say, <clears throat> I think we are sharing it with your old man tonight. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely believe that. And uh, uh, I guess part of me always knew even back then that that would be a cool thing for him to Mm-hmm. Uh, to know happen because he'd a he'd really want it, but if you know, if you say he's in heaven, I'm sure they, yeah, he has. Yeah. If heaven's really heaven, well, he, then he should have yeah. an yeah, unlimited yeah, supply yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> at least that's you know, my version. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> and if there's if if it's not available, then that's got to be hell. <laughs> but but uh, you know, I'd been holding on to this and had it in the car and. Uh, my best friends show up at the funeral and unexpectedly too i mean it's one of those where you really find how you got some really good friends Mm -hmm. one showed up unexpectedly had been doing things in new york with the new york auto show and so on and uh another was um, working um uh he's a labor attorney he was in jackson mississippi took a flight got into detroit drove across the state to grand rapids and uh, showed up for the funeral. Oh, so I turn around and you know, here these clowns are. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I said, you know what? Uh, I'd like you two to be the first to, uh, you know, crack this open and do a little toast to my dad. And so, so much like tailgating, I think the redneck I ultimately am, uh, pop the back of the Grand Cherokee and, and open this and take a couple of plastic glasses out and. Uh, uh, had a little taste and did a little toast to my uh, dad, and then after the funeral, uh, after the burial, went to my uh, nephew's house, and the thought was always that let's get together the people who loved him and appreciated him and uh, understood that he knew the good conversation you could have over a, a glass of bourbon. A good conversation and a good pour, man. And uh, we all did a, a toast to... Uh, to him and had this and enjoyed it and so I just rationed it off now it was uh, it was pretty needed yeah. I don't know over romanticized drinking but the thing is no he didn't he didn't drink to get drunk we'd have one no. or two drinks but no. it was a time if that's I, that's where a lot of people yeah the misconception yeah. comes in I don't drink to get drunk I drink because I have an appreciation for how it was made and when it was made and and the love and yeah. and 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 care that went into each and every bottle of everything we drink. Um, Great conversations, though. That was always those. Are, those yeah. are the best. Yeah. Those are the best conversations. Some of the best conversations come over a good pour. Yeah, yeah. That's what we say. I, I do remember one thing that when my when I went and to when my father was at the height of his illness, I, there was a gentleman in a cafe that asked me how my father was doing, and I said he's not doing very well. And he said something that still sticks with me today, and it applies in some situations. Not this one, because this has actually been been good. But he said, it's a sorrowful glass. Best to drink it in one gulp. Really? And I went, wow. That's, that's a lot there. There's a, there's a <laughs> whole lot there. And that stuck with me. Yeah. Now, tonight, uh, despite some of the sad in there but it's been honest i don't think it's been a sorrowful glass so let's raise them up let's raise them up to our guest tj holland and to john herbert to john herbert to john herbert he's like to think he's uh, enjoying one too yep for you john Mm -hmm. the guest bottle has been one we'll never see again 
the Van Winkle Family Reserved, Reserved, not I'm reserved, <laughs> Reserved, uh, distilled February 23rd, 1970, bottled in December of 1984. Thank you for sharing that, man. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing you. Wow. I couldn't be more excited with the people I'm sharing it with. I, I mean that. that. So I, I forgot that. that. I, I got you that 12-year-old. No, nah, I didn't. Bottle. Yeah, I didn't. Right. Yeah. So thank you, TJ Holland, and uh, thank you, folks, for listening as well. i got to say a couple of things like I always do. Whiskey Business is a never-the-luck production uh, recorded with the cooperation of the Columbus Radio Group. All the opinions are those of me, your host, and my reluctant guests, and are never meant to offend, only to inform, entertain, and in this case, tonight... Maybe enlightened. Maybe you've been through these same emotions with uh, somebody in your family. And if it made you feel a little closer to them tonight, then uh, good on us. Our work here is done. So, until the next bottle. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work, and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com and listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.